So we last left David. He's got a rocky road ahead. I mean, the sword is not to depart from his house. And he's going to have a whole bunch of family problems. So we find that the problems begin very soon after his sin with Bathsheba and after his son with her, the first son, dies. Chapter 13. David had a son by the name of Amnon. And Amnon was talking with a man who was called his friend. Verse 1 and 3. Yet I would challenge that because any man who would help you and advise you in the fulfilling of a sinful desire could not be a true friend to you. Any man who would encourage you to a sinful act cannot be a true friend. Amnon was sick. And the friend said, what's the matter with you? And he said, oh, I'm so in love with my sister Tamar. And she was actually a half-sister to him. She was the daughter of David, but she was the daughter of the Jeshurite wife, who was also the mother of Absalom. David's son. And he said, I'm just sick. I'm, I'm so in love with her. I can't eat. I can't do anything. I'm in love. In love. And the fellow said, well, look, just lie in your bed and pretend that you're really sicker than you are. And when your dad comes to visit, say, oh, dad, let my sister Tamar come and fix meat in my sight and feed me. It'll make me feel so much better. So David came to visit his son Amnon and Amnon said, oh, Dad, if you just allow Tamar to come and fix me some bread and some food in my sight and feed me, oh, it'd make me feel so good. So David sent Tamar over, and there in his sight she baked the bread and all and fixed it for him. And he said, she went to give it to him, and he said, oh, no. And he sent all the servants out, and he said, bring it into my bedroom and feed it to me. So she went into the bedroom, and he grabbed hold of her and he said lie with me and she said oh Amnon don't do this sin this is wrong look if you just ask my father David he'll probably make arrangements I could marry you don't do this but he did not hear her voice but he raped her then he sent her out said get out of here for there came an, abhor an abhorrence of her and the hatred of her was greater than the love that he had had previously felt. Verses 8 through 15. It is interesting how closely akin we are to our emotions. Emotions are sort of a weird thing. Now, many gifted public speakers know how to play on the emotions of people. They will tell jokes for the purpose of getting people to laugh because they know if they can only get the people really laughing that it isn't but just a little click for your emotions to get in gear and your emotions are working. And once those emotions are working, they can do very weird things. You can go from laughing to crying in just a moment. Have you ever seen a baby? And the change of emotions, you come in and, and they're, well, all of a sudden, the, you know, they're happy. And then all of a sudden their lip will turn down and they'll start to cry. And you think, what happened? But that's just how crazy our emotions are. 
So speakers, some of the psychological speakers that know that emotions are this way, they tell these jokes, get everybody laughing, and then they can just flip on the tears because you've got emotions going on right now and you can just play games with them. Now, Amnon expressed a tremendous love for his sister, which was not really love at all. I mean, one of the statements that is made so often today, which is really so far from true, is that it, and it should be banished as a phraseology, is for a person to say, let's make love, as though the sex act is making love. And many times there is absolutely no love at all involved in the sex act. It is purely a person seeking gratification for a certain biological drive, but no real true love involved at all. People who go to the bars on Friday nights to find their true lover will never find them. They will find an experience, and it may be interesting, and a guy says, well, I'm going out to look for a girl tonight. I want to find someone to make love with. But in reality, he's not even looking for a girl. He's only looking to satisfy his biological drive within him. A girl happens to be necessary to satisfy that drive. But he's not really looking for a girl. He's not really looking for love. He's not really looking for a meaningful experience. And we see the world around us living like animals. There's no difference between that and the animal kingdom. There's no love involved in those kinds of experiences. And it's tragic. It's tragic that so often people desiring and wanting love are going out seeking to find love in that kind of an environment. And women are so often suckers because they will give sex to get love or get what they hope will be love. But you never get love that way. Men will give love in order to get sex. And that is, they will give a demonstration of love. So one disappointment after another, one heartbreak after another, one disappointing experience after another, and the crazy world around us searching for love. And if you want to see this just out and bold, Hollywood has deceived them all, thinking that love is some romantic moment under the moon that you can just fall in love. Because love is not an emotion. Love is a conscious choice, a conscious choice that no matter what happens, that no matter what experience comes, that you will stay with that person because your emotional bond with them is so strong that as in Genesis, you become one with them. Love. But in the case of Amnon, it's a very classic case in point, how that he was only using his sister. He had no re real desire for her. He had no real desire for her benefit. He was only seeking for his own personal gratification. And once it came, he discarded the object like a dirty rag and would have nothing to do with her. He wasn't looking for a meaningful relationship. He wasn't looking for a wife. He wasn't looking for someone that he could bestow true love upon. 
and to benefit her and to build her up and to bless her with his actions of kindness and goodness. He was just seeking an object through which he could satisfy his own fleshly desires and was willing to discard her once that had been accomplished. If that guy who's coming on so strong, the, the guy who's desiring to have sex with you before you get married, trying to rush things, trying to give you the old phony baloney, everybody does it, and after all, how are we going to know if we really are matched or not? He's not looking to give true love and meaningful love. He's putting on a big act so he can gratify his own fleshly desires. And when you no longer satisfy those fleshly desires, he'll discard you. And you're going to be left heartbroken and disillusioned. That's not the kind of love that you need. That's not the kind of love that you want. That's not the kind of love that God wants you to have. God wants you to have a meaningful experience of love. And the sex act is not intended to just be a clinical, biological action, fulfilling certain biological drives, but it is intended to be an expression of real love. And you'll find that in marriage and no place else, people, though, are sadly deceived, especially in this world in which we live today. And quite frankly, Hollywood has made the big lie, and people are gullible, and they have fallen for the Hollywood lie. And God has laid down the rules, and you follow the rules, you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction and a meaningful relationship. But if you violate the rules, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get burned. Now, Tamar disgraced wearing this coat of many colors because all of the princesses and princes wore these colorful coats. With the girls, it was a special robe that designated her virginity. Being kicked out of the house, the servants, he said to the servant, eject her. And she was forcefully ejected from the house. And she put ashes on her head and she took her robe of virginity and ripped it. And she went crying down the street verse 17 through 19. Now, it wasn't Tamar's fault at all. She was raped. Amnon was totally at fault in this thing. But the tragedy of the whole story is this. David, because of what he had done, because of what he had done, couldn't discipline Amnon for it. He didn't say a thing to Amnon. There was no disciplining. There was no rebuking. David was a lousy father, totally derelict in his discipline. He suffered the result of it in his own children. And that is why, no doubt, the reason why Solomon wrote so much about the importance of disciplining children. He saw in his own family the effect of the lack of discipline because David was not a disciplinarian. Here he didn't say a thing against Amnon. Another son that rebelled against him later on, it said that David never once said anything to displease that child. Now, that doesn't make a child love you. I mean, that child actually hated David and rebelled against him. And Solomon, seeing this in his own home, wrote so much about the importance of disciplining a child. 
the foolishness of the world is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of instruction drives it far from him. If you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. A child left to himself is going to bring disgrace to his mother. All these things about discipline, the necessity of discipline and all, because David was such a totally poor disciplinary. But he felt his own guilt because of his own guilt. What he had done was not really much worse than what Amnon had done. Thus, he did not feel that he could really speak to him about it. Amnon was really sort of allowed to go without being punished. Except Absalom, the brother of Tamar, hated Amnon for this and waited for his day. Verse 22. And two years later, he said to David, I want to throw a big party, and I want all my brothers to come. And David said, oh, why do you want to do that? I want the whole family. David said, oh, I'm too busy. I don't want to come. He said, well, if you don't come, then, then let Amnon come. Verse 26. And he said, why do you want Amnon to come? But he was just insisting. Amnon came to the party that Absalom threw, and Absalom said to his servants, kill him, and thrust him through. So the servants of Absalom took Amnon, and they killed him. And Absalom fled to his grandfather. He fled to the city of the Geshurites. Verses 27, 34, and 38. Now, if you will remember, David had made one of his incursions against the Geshurites, and he took the daughter of the king as his wife, and she bore Absalom. So actually, Absalom was sort of a, a Bedouin type of a tribe, and he was heading to his grandfather's house on the other side to live with his grandfather, and there be more or less protected from David's vengeance. And so Absalom fled to Geshur in verse 37, 38, and 39, and he was there for three years at Talmai, who was his mother's father, his grandfather. Now David longed to see Absalom, verses 37 through 39. Actually, now that Amnon is dead, he can't do anything for him, and he longs to see Absalom. Chapter 14. So Joab, realizing that David is proud and stubborn and really wants to see his son, but won't make the first move, got a hold of a widow woman in Tekoa, and he said to her, Now, you go and tell David this story. Tell him that you had, well, tell him that you had two sons and they got in a fight. And you're a widow, and your two sons got in a fight. And they were out in a field. And there was no one around to separate them. And one of your sons hit the other and killed him. Now, the rest of the family is wanting to put your one son to death. But if he dies, then you don't have anybody. There's no descendants. There's no one to carry on the family name. And it's just the end. And so tell them that they are not to take revenge against my one son. So this woman came to David and she told the story of my two boys that were out in the field fighting and they were really going at it and no one to separate them. And the one killed the other. And now the Avengers of blood are trying to kill the one son. But if he's gone, I won't have anybody. I'll, I'll be left alone. And David said, your son will be pardoned. 
he's forgiven. And so she said to him, why, well, why should it be to me and not to my master's house? Verses one through nine. And she brought up the fact of, well, the fact to David that much the same thing had happened. And if he would forgive her son, the Avengers of blood because of murder, then why wouldn't he forgive his own son and bring him back? And David realized that he'd been caught up in the same kind of thing that Nathan caught him in. And tell the story and give a judgment, and David's quite a guy. He does stick by his judgments. So he said, one thing before you go, I want to ask you this. I want you to tell me this straight. Is Joab behind this? And she said, oh, surely you have the knowledge of an angel. No one can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab is behind it. And so Joab sent for Absalom to come back, but David refused to see him. He can go back to his house, but David still refused to see him. And this pride thing and all, isn't it stupid, this pride of ours? I mean, the thing that we really want to do, we won't do because we just, well, we want to stop the fight. We don't want to go on. But I'm not going to say I'm sorry first. She's got to say it before I'm going to say it. I'm really miserable, and I really don't like this going on, and I really want it to be all over, but I'm not going to say it first. No way. She's got to come to me. <laughs> and we do these stupid things because of our stupid pride. We allow things to go on and simmer. We allow things to go on in turmoil just because of our stupid pride. So Absalom isn't the kind that you can just ignore. And he wanted Joab to come over and to set up a meeting with his dad. But Joab wouldn't even come to see him. He sent several messages to Joab and Joab refused to come. So he said to his servants, well, these barley fields are getting pretty dry. Go over and set them on fire. So his servant sent Joab's field on fire. And Joab came storming over and said, what's the big idea? Your servant's burning my field? He said, well, I wanted to see you. I told you several times and you wouldn't answer. So here you are. And so he told Joab, I want you to make arrangements for me to see my father. And so Joab came, made the arrangements, and David saw Absalom. Verses 32 and 33. And there was the forgiveness, the weeping, the rekindling of love, and so forth, except that Absalom began at that point to conspire against his own father. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, let us see the examples that you're laying out here for us not to just ignore the things that our children do. Lord God, you've, you've placed an order in our lives that the children are supposed to look up to their parents, not be their friends, not be their confidant, Yes, to be all those things is fine, but 
We must be their parents. We must be the people that discipline those children so that they can become the best person that they can be. Because through discipline, we have love. And if we have discipline in our lives, we can survive anything. We can adapt to anything because our lives are disciplined. Father, let us be parents that discipline. And Lord God, let us be children who allow ourselves to be disciplined. Father, I don't want to be spoiled. Spare not your rod. Lord, when I go astray, correct me. And Father, remind me every day how much you love me. Because I need that. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.